This podcast is being brought to you in part by the veteran-founded Hero Soap Company, located in Phoenix, Arizona. In today's environment, we must be aware of the products we apply to our skin. As a two-time cancer survivor, I cannot afford to take chances, and I use these products myself. The soaps will leave you feeling clean and refreshed. All the products made by the Hero Soap Company are made in the United States with the highest quality ingredients sourced from companies in the United States whenever possible. The products are made in small batches to ensure high quality and contain premium essential oils and fragrance. All Hero Soaps are created without synthetic colorants, parabens, and sulfates that are irritating to the eyes, skin, mouth, and lungs, and are cruelty-free, meaning these products are not tested on animals. Each 5-ounce bar of soap is handmade in Phoenix, Arizona, and the body wash is available in 8 ounces with such refreshing scents as the woods, tea tree, lavender, the fields, bourbon, lime, the pines, and arctic. You will absolutely love this soap. Please also check out their gear for sale. All the products are reasonably priced. Being veteran-founded, the company understands the dedication and sacrifice that each family makes to serve their country. A portion of sales is donated back to charities that are focused on helping veterans and our first responders. Over 1,200 bars have been sent to our deployed troops. Please check out their website, HeroSoapCompany.com, for pricing and a detailed description of all the products. When ordering, use the code RAP for a 10% discount. The company information will be listed in the podcast notes and featured on the podcast website, Facebook group, page, and the podcast Instagram. Welcome, everyone. It's a wrap with Rap. I'm your host, Ron Rappaport. Before we start, I would like to thank all of our listeners, supporters, and sponsors that have helped to make this podcast so successful. The podcast is being heard in all 50 states, all provinces of Canada, and over 70 countries around the world. The podcast has been ranked by Feedspot as one of the top 35 overcoming adversity podcasts on the web from thousands in that category and is ranked by traffic social media followers and content freshness please visit the podcast website it's a wrap with rap.com for all the episodes and other information regarding the podcast and to order logo merchandise of which a portion of sales is donated to various charities and to sign up for our email this podcast features people who have overcome life's challenges and adversities and people who can inspire, motivate, and educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Dan Klauser. Dan is an author, podcast host, speaker, coaching trainer, and consultant. He founded and ran a nonprofit youth sports organization for 30 years called the Berkshire Baseball and Softball Club, which later became the Big Vision Foundation in Reading, Pennsylvania. He ran teams, tournaments, and a 130-acre sports complex, doing what he loved, working with kids, and teaching them leadership skills and life lessons 
through sports and community service. In 2019, he felt a calling from God, decided to leave his comfort zone and start a new journey with his wife and dog, selling most of their material things and setting out across the country in an RV, conducting coaching workshops, meeting people who are doing things to make this world a better place. We will showcase Dan's journey. Welcome, Dan, to the podcast. Thanks, Ron. Looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. Glad to have you. Let's start off, Dan, at the beginning. Tell us about yourself and what you uh, have been doing prior to your to your huge transition in life. So I had uh, I started a, a youth nonprofit organization uh, when I was 20 years old. It actually didn't start out as a youth nonprofit organization. I actually started out as a an adult baseball organization for a bunch of buddies from high school and college to just kind of continue, you know, reliving their glory days, so to speak. Um, and as we all got older and started coaching ourselves and, you know, getting more involved in the youth component of sports, you know, we, we were all kind of coaching at these different, in these different organizations, ended up, you know, coaching against each other in many instances, but then we were still playing with each other. And we just kind of got around and talked and said, you know what, we all have the same philosophy, the same coaching philosophy. Why don't we kind of, you know, bring it all under that Berkshire umbrella and uh, add a youth component to the organization. And we, we did that uh, about 10 years into the organization in uh, 1999. And it just kind of blossomed from there. And it just took on a whole new meeting for, for all of us really to, uh, you know, to do that work. And, you know, we all took the approach of, uh, you know, it was more about teaching life lessons than it was the wins and losses on the field. Right. Uh, we were very competitive. We, we won a lot of league championships, a lot of tournament championships, but that was never really the end goal. The number one goal was to make sure that we were preparing these kids to go into the real world. Because at some point, you know, the game of baseball and softball are going to pass you by. doesn't matter how good you are. doesn't matter if you get to the pre- the professional level, the major league level. You know, at some point, the game is just going to say, you know what? I'm done with you. Uh, I'm moved, moving on to somebody younger and more talented than than what you are. And at, at that point, you need to understand how to be a productive member of society. So that was really our main goal. And, you know, probably one of our, you know, my, my and my wife's biggest blessings right now to our, you know, our traveling and getting to, uh, you know, move about the country here is I've got players who are literally scattered across the country. And now, being able to reconnect with them that they're, you know, adults and seeing what they're doing, you know, in the world has been really special and, you know, has really, you know, kind of reaffirmed that the work we were doing was, was well worth the time that we'd put in. Did you always instill in your players back then, uh, you know, there's gotta be a winner. There's gotta be a loser. It's a game and it's just a game. And when the game's over, we have to go on with real life. Is that what you pretty much absolutely instilled? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, with the game of baseball and softball, I mean, it's, it's a game of failure to start with, you know, so it's real. There's a whole lot of life lessons. I mean, there's life lessons in every sport, but I just feel that in baseball, they're just that more, you know, that much more prevalent um, because it is such a game of failure. You know, if you, you fail 70% of the time, you're still going to be considered a huge success in the game of baseball, you know, so yeah. It, it really is modeled to be able to teach those life lessons. And, and sadly, you know, there's not enough coaches out there today that are doing that. They've, they've got their eye on, you know, a weekend tournament trophy or a medal that quite frankly, at the end of the day, you know, it, it's nice in the moment, but 
at the end of the day, that's not what it's all about. And like I said, we won plenty of championships and, you know, we stepped on the field and played to win every time, but it was really, you know, that wasn't the ultimate goal. You know, if we ended up losing, we'd try to find what whatever lesson there was in that loss to teach the kids so that they could go out and do better the next time. It must aggravate you a lot when you see on the news parents getting into fights with the umpires and fights among themselves. It's just, to me, it, it just makes no sense. It's a complete loss of perspective. I just saw a video that's kind of gone viral recently where, I don't know, I think it was a 14-year-old baseball game where third base coach came charging in from the, the coach's box and tried to tackle the umpire for a you know a missed ball or strike call. <laughs> you just sit there and you're like, man, what? What is going on? You know, I don't know. What is going yeah. on? It, it, it is. It's just a complete, complete loss of uh, of perspective, and and it's a shame because these are the people who are supposed to be teaching the kids, you know, to yeah. do things the right way. So if you're yeah. if you're doing that in front of a team of, you know, twelve or fourteen kids, what what lessons are they learning from that? Yeah, we need we need more coaches like you. That's for sure. Dan, what inspired you to sell your home, your possessions, and buy an RV? and travel around the country. What, 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 what uh, inspired you to do that? It, it's kind of a funny story. You know, I, I loved what I did. I loved what I did in the organization, loved working with kids and, and we were doing great work. We were changing lives, but in 20, early 2019, I'd taken two road trips uh, by myself. One was from Pennsylvania to Dallas for the uh, annual ABCA convention, the American Baseball Coaches Association convention. Uh, and when I left Dallas, I actually didn't go directly back to Pennsylvania. I, I swung down through Louisiana and caught up with some some friends of mine that we had done some softball camps with over the years and uh, then drove back to Pennsylvania. About a month later, I, uh, again, took another solo trip, uh, this time from Pennsylvania down to Orlando, Florida. On the way down there, I stopped in Atlanta to see one of my old players, um, who is now working at uh, Georgia State in the uh, intramural athletic program there. And, you know, got to catch up with him. And then just, uh, you know, again, went to Orlando. I, I was down there to kind of, uh, we were getting ready to partner with with Allie Krieger to do some soccer camps at our, our complex. And uh, was down there, spent the weekend with them, drove back. And those were the first two times in my life where I actually took the time to enjoy the journey as opposed to worrying about making sure, you know, I was getting to the destination on time. Um, as an organization, we traveled quite a bit, but it was never about the journey. You know, it was, you know, we're, we're on a, a bus. Uh, many times we'd take our whole organization to tournaments. We'd have three buses of kids, you know, so, yeah. so there was nothing enjoyable about that journey. I mean, it, it was enjoyable with the kids and everything, but like it was a strict schedule. Like we had to be at the old country buffet by eight 30 in the morning. You know, we had 45 minutes to get the kids in and out for breakfast and then get them back on the bus and make sure we were at the complex we were playing at by, you know, noontime or whatever the case was. So, you know, it was always about, you know, just a real regimented schedule and, and that sort of thing. So, this was a, a time where I actually got to enjoy the journey. Um, on the way to Dallas, I stopped in Memphis, spent the day in Memphis. And, um, you know, to, to give a little bit more background, my mom back in the 80s took an old 1967 Plymouth Valiant, 
took the back seat about out of it, put a sheet of plywood in there and a mattress and kind of turned it into a quasi RV and traveled all around the country, just, you know, meeting people and doing volunteer work. She volunteered with uh, hurricane relief efforts all over Florida. Uh, she went up to ground zero and volunteered after nine 11. And, uh, you know, she was always about enjoying the journey. She never took an interstate. She was always on, you know, a secondary highway or something like that. And I kind of had this aha moment during those two road trips where, you know, it hit me. It was like, wow, I think I've actually, you know, now almost 20 years after my mom had passed, really understood why she did what she did. You know, like I always respected her. Uh, I love telling people stories about her after she passed, about the volunteer work she did and how she did, you know, uh, I mean, for a single woman at that point to be traveling, you know, by herself yeah. uh, in, in that day and age was it was pretty amazing. So I'd love telling the stories, but I never, I always envisioned it that that was her story, that it would never be my story. And then when I got back from those road trips, I, I was in the process of adding some new chapters to the book that I'd originally published back in 2012. But with the work I was doing, it was really difficult to, to really sit down and write. And uh, when I got back from those two road trips, I'd written like I hadn't written in years, um, knocked out like four or five chapters and just kind of found this new inspiration and and really at that point kind of started hearing a voice that it was time to you know close close this chapter that i was in and and open a new chapter and at first i resisted i, I wasn't keen to that idea uh, again this is an organization i'd i'd started i'd spent you know 30 years of my life at that point i was 50 years old um so you know literally 60 percent of my life i dedicated to this organization yeah um uh, I just, you know, I kind of finally surrendered to the idea. And then I, I ran up by my wife and she thought I'd completely lost my mind. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you about <laughs> so, that. <laughs> so she, you know, and she kind of said the same thing that, that I'd thought. It was like, you know what, that was your mom's story. You know, it, it's not going to be, you know, it's not our story. Um, but after a while, she, she had some things happening professionally um, at her employer as well. And, uh, you know, she was beginning to get more and more frustrated with it as time went on. Um, doors that she told she was told were going to be open for weren't opening, and there was just con a constant kind of you know delaying game. And she came home finally one day, and she said, "All right, I'm in. Let, let's do it. Let's, let's do uh, it. Let's make the plans to do this." And uh, so we, you know, started you know informing my organization what uh, you know what was going to go on. Kind of came up with Nexus strategy. And uh, then in 2020, we, you know, put put it all in motion and and put the house up on the market. And then COVID hit, and we took the house off the market. <laughs> right. We, we ended up still buying an RV because we had a really good deal on a on a 2019. Left Let me take a very brief moment out to alert all our patients and caregivers out there that rare patient voice. A supporter of the podcast is paying for your input. Patients 16 years and older and caregivers, family, and friends of any disability, disorder, syndrome, illness, or condition have the opportunity to express their opinions through surveys and interviews to improve medical products and services. Who knows your journey better than you? Rare Patient Voice puts you in touch with researchers who are developing products and services that can help you and others with your condition. These researchers need input of patients to develop products and services that have significant impact on patients' lives. Over the past nine years, Rare Patient Voice has paid patients over $10 million. 
When you join Rare Patient Voice, you may be invited to participate in interviews, surveys, or online communities where you will share your insights. Rare Patient Voice usually has hundreds of studies running at any time, so there are many opportunities to participate. You will earn $120 per hour for participating in these studies. By making your voice heard, you are a catalyst for change. Rest assured, your input will be used to help other patients like you. There is no cost at all to you, the participant. You can get more information and sign up by clicking the link in the sponsor's notes. Over uh, RV, where we saved uh, over $30,000 from the original sticker price on it. So, you know, the plan of selling the house, buying the RV and, and you know not having any debt, um, you know, quickly turned into having an RV sitting in the yard uh, and the house off the market, a mortgage and an RV payment with a whole lot of uncertainty well, that bad in the air you. with COVID. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But there was still this strange sense of peace as we were doing it, that, you know what, it, it's all going to work out. Yeah. And, you know, as it turned out when, when the real estate, op- real estate market opened up again in Pennsylvania, I think 10 days after the market opened up, we had an agreement of sale in the house. And in August of that year, we, we hit the road and, and we've been loving every minute of it since. You know, you mentioned your mom doing this in the 80s. Tell us how she pulled it off. She was married and uh, so, some of what her uh, journeys were like. I know she did volunteer work across the country, but I know you have a little story about her 9-11 experience. Can you yeah, share so, that with us? So actually, yeah, so um, just give a little more background. She actually wasn't married when she started the journey. She was, okay. uh, she was in a relationship with who, a person who became my stepfather later, who was a uh, retir- retired colonel in the army. Okay. And when she told him what she wanted to do, his response was, well, Loretta, I, I love your ambition. I, I love, you know, that you want to do this, but truthfully, um, you know, I did all my traveling for the military. Like I, I have no ambition to hop in a car and, and drive around the country. Like I, you know, I did mine on, on uncle Sam's dime, you know? Right. <laughs> and she, she responded and said, well, Oh no, you don't understand Gene. I'm not inviting you. I'm just letting you know what I'm doing. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a little uneasy about that, but you know, finally, uh, finally bought into it. Uh, and so she left Florida and drove, drove across the Southern U S got into uh, LA and he actually flew to LA and uh, they drove down to Tijuana and got married. Okay. Um, drove back to LA. He got on a plane back to Florida. She drove up the Pacific Coast Highway through Canada up into Alaska. But now she's actually the, the wife of a retired uh, military veteran. So she had health benefits now. She had she could go to any uh, military base and, and shop at the you know the commissary, go to the right. PX and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it kind of eased his anxiety um about her doing what she was doing um much more so the uh you know first couple of years of their marriage they'd see each other a couple of weeks a year wow <laughs> you know? but uh but he was supportive know. he was supportive of all this. he was yeah he was supportive of it yeah and then uh yeah so when 9-11 came around um she'd actually she'd been hadn't been traveling full-time at that point anymore um, she was working as a drug and alcohol counselor, ran her own halfway house down in Titusville, Florida, and just did a lot of work for the Salvation Army. So, you know, like when a hurricane would come in, she would be part of that group to be out there feeding the other volunteers. So 
when uh you know after 9/11 she just you know felt felt a need that that she needed to be up there and help so she she left I want to say shortly after the first of the year so it wasn't like she was there at the you know the the very beginning after everything had happened but I mean it was you know such a disaster that there is a lot of work to to still be done so sure. she got up there a uh, little bit into to 2002 and uh, she was there for about six or eight months and, you know, again, worked in the, uh, the meal tent. I don't know what the official name was for it, but she would, uh, you know, she'd serve, serve meals for, you know, those who were still out there working in the rubble. We actually went up and visited her on uh, Mother's Day of 2002. And because she had her Salvation Army badge and everything, um, she got us into places that we wouldn't have been able to get into. And, and I still remember this one church that we, uh, we went into and, and just, you know, right as you walked in the door, it was a place where a lot of the firefighters and, and responders would just kind of go to and, and decompress, you know, they just sit there, they'd pray, they'd cry, they'd do whatever they had to do to kind of just, you know, keep their wits about them. Yeah. And when you walked in the doors of this place, like it just felt so heavy. Now, I remember as we were leaving, mentioning that to my mom about how how heavy it felt. She said, well, if you thought it was heavy today, like you should be there in a day where they, they find a body or, you know, find a body part. And again, it was just it's one of those things that you, you heard about on the news. But until you hear about it from someone that's that close to you and, and understanding that this is now May of 2002 and this happened in September of 2001 and they're still pulling bodies and body parts out of that rubble. It just gave it a new perspective, I think, for for all of us at that point. You now, when she took us back to the Salvation Army tent, and you know, we had lunch with her, like everybody there, you know, she'd she'd make sure she'd introduce my brother and I to, to all of her her friends that she, she was working with, and they all called her mom. Like every single one of those people called her mom, and that was just, you know, that's the way she was. You know, when my uh, my brother's adult soccer team, everybody on the team called her mom. You know. When yeah. my brother is in the army and he'd bring he'd bring three or four jihais home you know with them on leave by the end of the weekend they're all calling her mom you know and that's just the way she was she she really you know turned into everybody's mom wow that's a great story tell yeah, us she's an amazing woman yeah she sounds amazing dan what experience did you have in the rv world when you started this what did you know a lot about RVs or was this just something you jumped into and started learning? I, uh, I, I knew nothing about RVs. Absolutely I, uh, nothing. First time I, first time I ever drove an RV was the day I drove this thing off the lot. Had no experience, literally jumped in with both feet. Didn't know what a black tank was, a gray tank was, fresh tank, none of that stuff. But, uh, you know, the, the one thing that's really cool about the RV community is there's some amazing there's some amazing people out there who are willing to help out and give you advice. And YouTube has been an enormous asset uh, as well. If there's something that goes wrong, there's generally a video out there about how you can how you can make it right. So um, but no, had absolutely no experience with RVing. It's not like my wife and I went went camping on weekends throughout our entire marriage. Or anything like that you know i did some tent camping when i was a kid for our church youth group uh, my wife did some family camp uh tent camping when she was a kid as well 
but that was it. Never drove an RV, never spent a night in an RV. And uh, we, we, we've been learning on the go ever since. But, but your wife bought into this thing. She did. She did. And if you talk to her today, you know, she is, she is all in. She, she absolutely loves it. Loves the ability to, you know, make plans on the fly if we have to. The people we've met have been amazing. We do a lot of volunteer work ourselves. We volunteer yeah. for for an organization called A Year to Volunteer, which is a RV centric uh, volunteer organization. And, and we've just met some of the most amazing people in yeah, that we're, organization. We're going to get so, into that. I think you. I I think this was something that, in the back of your mind, you must have known spiritually. This was just something you were intended to do. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely now as, as I reflect. And, and it's funny, you know, I talked about that trip I took to Orlando that, you know, was part of the inspiration to doing this. And right. when I was down there, I, I spent a lot of time with two of my cousins. And my one cousin said to me uh, on that trip, she says, you know, I, I can see you doing what your mom did someday. And I was like, Patty, you're crazy. That's <laughs> not going to happen. You know, that's not going to happen. And sure enough, you know, another month or two later is when it really kind of started, started weighing on me to, to do that. And never, never, like say I said, never. E- even with, yeah. Yeah. And, and even with COVID and all the stuff, you know, like I said, having a mortgage and the RV payment at the same time, like it just, you know, when, when you talk about the spirituality of it, like it just still felt right. Even yeah. with kind of all that uncertainty that was going, there's just, you, this, you just this took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say it must've just felt right. Yep. yep yeah, it absolutely did. Dan, tell us about your first road trip with the RV. You're, you're in the RV, you know, nothing about RVs and you're driving this, I assume pretty large vehicle. What was it's uh, it's thirty three foot, so thirty three foot class C, and our our first road trip was actually down the Blue Ridge Parkway. Uh, we left our daughter's house out in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, just hopped on the the uh, Skyline Drive in Shenandoah National Park and went down the the Blue Ridge Parkway. We drove from again just north of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, to Lynchburg, Virginia, that first day. Um, which we quickly learned was probably too far um, because we ended up getting into the campground right around seven o'clock, right about dusk. So, you know, the first time hooking the RV up, I was doing it in the dark, (laughs) (laughs) which even, even now with a little over three years under our belts is still not fun. So we quickly learned that that was, you know, probably too much of a chunk to do uh, in a day. Yeah. Um, But uh you know, we got into this uh, campground in Lynchburg and had a heck of a time getting the, the RV level. Just we didn't have a, a great site at that, that particular campground. So it took a while to get it level. We were setting up in the dark. We, we hadn't eaten yet at that point. So my wife just, you know, quickly made spaghetti because it was the, the quickest thing, you know, to, to actually. Yes, you know, so I think by the time we ate dinner, it was like eight o'clock at night at that point. But even so, it, we we loved it. You know, we got up the next morning and you know hit the parkway again, uh, and then from there we we went to Fancy Gap, Virginia, which is just above the the uh, North Carolina line, and um, you know just that that section. You know, I mean, we, we probably stopped at just about every single lookout that you could possibly stop. 
you know, and, and took pictures from, you know, from the parkway and from the lookouts and, and, you know, just again, enjoyed the journey. It was, it was so cool. We ended up doing the whole thing uh, down to Cherokee, North Carolina, and then came back up to uh, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And we actually went back to Pennsylvania. So was, this whole thing was about two, just under two weeks. We ended up going back to Pennsylvania and spent Labor Day weekend with our family, most of our family up at uh, in Sullivan County, Pennsylvania, at our, our daughter and son-in-law's hunting camp that they have up there. And when we left there, we ended up going to uh, Louisiana and Texas. And that was actually right after Hurricane Laura had hit. So we kind of quickly found ourselves following my mom's footsteps again because we went down there and helped yeah. with uh, some hurricane relief in uh, Sulphur and Lake Charles, Louisiana. And we got some friends that that lived down there. And um, again, it was, you know, when, when I heard my mom telling the stories about her experiences with disaster relief was one thing, but then when you experience it yourself, it, it's just a whole different schematic. And, you know, and seeing these people that were there who they too had lost just about everything from sure. the storm. Yeah. We're still out there helping others, you know, helping others who, you know, like over 20,000 households each month make the choice to join switch to the box shopping club. They realize being their own health advocate and voting with their dollars becomes their voice An estimated 133 million Americans, nearly half of the population suffer from at least one chronic illness such as hypertension, heart disease, and arthritis. That figure is 15 million higher than just a decade ago. And by 2030, this number is expected to reach 170 million. Studies show that one in every three people will have cancer in their lifetime. We are being led down a path of deception through false advertising and subpar testing of the products we use. Lawsuits are mounting against huge corporations for products contaminated with dangerous amounts of cancer-causing chemicals, products labeled natural actually containing synthetic ingredients, fraudulent labeling of products, sunscreens being recalled after an internal testing shows low levels of benzene, a carcinogen in the product. According to the Consumer Reports National Research Center, 78% of Americans prefer to purchase products manufactured in the United States. Great news. Switch to the Box represents a North American manufacturer located in the United States doing business since 1985 that has met the standard of formulating, manufacturing, and packaging products that are safe, free of harmful chemicals and toxins, are effective, competitively priced, offering outstanding customer service, privately owned and Patriot-driven. You will find Switch to the Box products to be more effective than national brand products making laundry rooms, living rooms, bedrooms, kitchens, nurseries, and bathrooms safer and more enjoyable. The products feature natural ingredients like citric acid to remove hard water stains, enzymes to clean dishes, and biodegradable ingredients to gently remove tough stains from laundry. Every nutrition, personal care, home cleaning, and cosmetic product has been developed and manufactured to stand out from the competition. Each of their over 400 products is superior in a very clear and relevant way. Become a member today. There is no added expense to your budget by joining as you are already someone else's customer. Click the link in the podcast notes to obtain information on joining and a full description of the program and all the benefits.
Now, back to the podcast. We, we stayed in the friend's driveway, and she was apologizing to us that we couldn't plug in our electric to her house because she had no electric. <laughs> we were like, Jenny, it's fine. You, you got your generator for the house right now. You worry about that. We've got a generator in the RV. We yeah. will be fine. Please do not apologize. <laughs> Because the right. storm wiped you out of electric, you know? Right. Um, and, and we met this woman from Houston who came in to help. And her and I, you know, ended up going from one distribution area that we we're helping with to another to bring more supplies over. And we were talking on our way there and back. And I'd asked her, you know, what brought you into town? You know, what made you want to come over and help? And she's like, well, you know, when Hurricane Harvey came through a few years ago and, and really tore up Houston, a lot of people from this area came into Houston and helped us. She said, so I felt it was my obligation sure. to come back and help them because they helped us in our greatest time of need. And just seeing that, you know, that human spirit, you know, just it, it's refreshing. You know, oh, we yeah, live in absolutely. such a polarized world and such a crazy world of, you know, everybody in their own silos. When, when you see, you know, it, it's sad that it takes a disaster to see that good part of human nature. Yeah. And I just wish, I just wish at some point we would learn as human beings that we don't need the disaster that we could actually be like this all, all the time. You know? exactly, so, exactly. Fingers crossed that we figure that one out. So Wouldn't that be soon. nice? Yeah. Now, yeah. what were some of the objectives of what you and your wife wanted to accomplish uh, by living your new lifestyle? And, and did you have a plan in mind when you started out? So the, uh, you know, the plan was definitely to write more, you know, so I, I did republish that first book in 2020. I'm sorry, in 2021. And then I I wrote my second book, which is titled The Journey of My Mother's Son, which is the same title of my podcast. And that was published in 2022. And then I, I did my third book that was released in May of 2023, which is actually my first step into the, the children's book genre, which is a children's book written as though our dog was the author uh, and his perspective of living in the RV full time, or as he calls it, the house on wheels. Um, so that that was the plan was to, you know, certainly write more and, you know, and do more speaking. And we've definitely accomplished both those roles. I'd like to do even more speaking than what I'm doing right now, but that'll all come. And uh, I'm still writing. So I'm, I'm working on uh, actually a, a coloring book, which will be out in December of 2023, probably actually once this this gets released, um, which, again, is the, the dog's perspective. Um, in the coloring book. And I'm also working on volume two of The Journey of My Mother's Son, which will just, it's really a story about, the, it'll, the subtitle is Many Little People, um, and it'll just talk about people that we've met on this journey, whether it's people that I remember their name or people that we just had a short interaction with, but yet they still made a very profound effect on our, on our lives, who I don't even remember their name anymore. Um, so it'll just be a story about, you know, those people that we've met and how, how special that's been. Describe to our audience, what's it like to have the freedom you now possess? Boy, it's tough to put that into words, but it, it is, it's just an amazing feeling to, to know that, you know, th this past summer, we, we did a book signing tour throughout Colorado. It was our first time in Colorado. And, and again, to kind of meet people, you know, if I was still, working for the organization, still running the complex, like there's no way I could put together, you know, a six week book signing tour in Colorado, certainly not in the summer. 
<laughs> and right. I wouldn't want to do it in the winter in Colorado. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so that that freedom of, of being able to to do that and then you know in early 2024 um you know we'll do be doing another book signing tour throughout louisiana and texas and into arizona and then we're doing a, a volunteer project in california in april you know but yet there have also been times where um you know sadly we had a, a friend of ours pass away shortly into you know into this journey so to speak and you know, ended up making a, you know, an impromptu trip back to Pennsylvania that, that we weren't, you know, planning on doing, but yet we had that, again, that freedom to be able to, to do that. And, you know, to be able to kind of, you know, e- even though like right now we've, we've got our plans pretty well laid out for just about all of 2024, which is very odd, but that's only because we're planning on going to Alaska for three months with uh, some of our volunteer friends. We're taking a caravan up there. However, we also have the ability to shift that if something would happen that we'd have to, you know, jump off of that trip to, to come home for some reason or um, whatever the case is, we, we still have that freedom to, yeah. to be able to do that, you know, so that that's, you know, to actually, it's, it's tough to put it into words, but it is, uh, it's, it's nice to be able to, you know, kind of shift gears. If we I, have guess you to. Could, I guess you could use the word uh, enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. No doubt D- about that. Dan, how did your dog react from living in a house to an RV? He he probably loves it even more than my wife and I do. Really? <laughs> he's uh, he's a uh, you know fourteen and a half year old golden retriever, and he loves the fact that you know on any given day he can wake up and be on a beach or be in the mountains or. You know, out on a trail, meeting people. He he loves meeting people, so he he loves it uh, definitely more than even my wife and I do. Cause he just he understands the freedom too. I think. Yeah, sounds that way. Can you tell us just a few of your volunteering venues you worked in? I know you worked in Lake Charles, Louisiana, after Laura, Hurricane Laura. But uh, any any interesting stories? Yes, we actually. Uh, we ended up going back to Lake Charles as part of when the first time we went there is basically just Sandy and I, you know, and because we had friends down there, they got us in touch with uh, the local church that was running the distribution center um, for supplies. We ended up going back to Lake Charles in February of 2022. And this was with a year to volunteer and actually went into Sam Houston Jones State Park, which was a state park in Lake Charles that had this just been totally devastated by the hurricane. Um, it still wasn't open to the public at this point. And, you know, so you're, again, you're talking August of 2020 is when the hurricane came through. We're now looking at February of 2022 and this park had still been closed. They'd lost 90% of their trees. And, uh, you know, we went in there, this was actually the largest group to, to do a project for a year to volunteer. And we rebuilt um, campsites for them. We built a brand new fishing pier for them, a 500 foot fishing pier. We're, we're wow. still cleaning up debris, you know, over two years, you know, almost two years after the, the hurricane, there's still just debris everywhere. So we, you know, probably picked up, you know, 2000 plus sticks. Yeah. <laughs> um, stump, stump grinded. I mean, just uh, there, there's a, there's, I think two teams just, you know, 
grinding stumps every day. Uh, I don't even know what the final number was on stumps. And then just painting, and we did a ton of painting. Uh, re completely rebuilt the entranceway to the park. And then, you know, the, the cool thing about that is Sandy and I have been back to that park now that it is open to the public uh, two times. Uh, because, again, we do have friends down in that area. So, you know, to, to kind of see the progression, you know, a lot of times if you do do a project like that, you get to it, you leave, and and that's it. Where here we've been able to, you know, we were there the first time, not in the park, just kind of seeing, you know, right after everything had happened. Yeah. Now we've been able to come back and, and see how things continue to build up. And, you know, getting into the park and, and seeing – people using some of the things that we've built is, is pretty rewarding. And then just, you know, during the project, seeing how the community just really embraced what we were doing. Um, we had several different church groups, the chamber of commerce uh, would come out and bring us meals. You know, normally meals are all on our own during a project. I don't think, I think we cooked three nights total because <laughs> they, you know, we would just have people coming out. Yeah, that's great. You know, sending us down to the pavilion and bringing food and then hearing their stories of how grateful they were, you know, for this group of volunteers from all over the country to come in and, and spend time in their park and what that park meant to them. You know, it was literally like a generational thing where, you know, this one woman was telling us, you know, when she was a child, her grandmother used to bring her to the park and then, you know, her mother yeah. and, you know, so, and here, you know, my kids haven't had this park for almost two years now. And here you guys are you know, bringing it back so that I can bring my kids back here and they can experience that same thing that I did as a kid and grandmother did as a kid and her grandmother did as a kid and all that sort of stuff. So it was pretty special. And then the other project that, that always sticks in our mind is the, the first project we did with the year to volunteer up in uh, Antigo, Wisconsin. We volunteered at a place called uh, the Raptor Education Group. Actually, I'm wearing the shirt right now. wasn't really planning on talking about it, but just happened to have the shirt. Um, also called Reggie and uh, it's uh, you know, it's a, a raptor sanctuary where they bring in, you know, injured eagles and falcons and just all kinds of birds. Um, and the, the idea is to, to rehab them and send them back out into the wild. It's not always the case. Not, not all the birds can, can be set free. Um, so at that point they, they keep them there and just care for them throughout their life. Uh, the first project we did there, the uh, oldest living bald eagle from the Exxon Valdez oil spill was actually living on this property. And the, wow. the founder of the organization had rescued it during the oil spill and actually brought her back there. And at that time, the bird was over 50 years old. She's now since passed. But, you know, again, just very cool to see that. And then we've been able to see, um, you know, bald eagles being set free, been able to see falcons and hawks set free. Uh, after they've been rehabilitated and it's just again it, it's just an incredible thing to you know watch these birds who came in broken um get rehabilitated and then set back into the into yeah the wild is, is pretty yeah the work you're doing is just amazing what what is the what is the rv community at large like can you just give us an idea it, it's just you know probably the best way to describe it is just kind of like old school you know always willing to help you know, lend a hand, you know, we were on a, a volunteer project one, the, actually the one in Lake Charles at Sam Houston Jones and our, our water pump went out and, you know, there were three or four guys there who, you know, showed me how to change it out. One of them had a spare water pump, gave it to me. 
Uh, all I had to do is, you know, order a replacement for him from Amazon, but that way I could, we could get up and running, you know, yeah. we didn't have to wait a couple of days to, to get the part, you know, and, and again, they didn't, they didn't do the work for me. They showed me how to do it so that in the future uh, I could be able to do it on my own, which uh, I, I tell everybody all the time that I'm, I'm probably the, the least handy full-time RVer out there. So if you would have ever told me in, you know, 2019 or early 2020 that I'd be changing my own water pump, I'd have told you, I doubt that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, but sure enough, there I was changing my own, my own water pump, which, you know, being tutored by, by others, but still doing the work. And it's, you know, I remember when I was a kid and my, my mom would send me to my, our neighbor's house for a stick of butter or something, or, or a cup of sugar, or them coming to our house for a stick of butter or a cup of sugar. Like, that's what I kind of equate the RV community as like, if you need something, somebody's there willing to help you out. You know, we, one of our first trips, we were up in New Hampshire and we don't tow vehicle. And, uh, you know, we got into our campsite and our, our neighbors, they, they had learned from the, the campground owner that, that we weren't towing a vehicle. And the next day we hear a knock on our door and here it's our neighbors. And they said, Hey, we're going into town. We know you guys don't have a vehicle and the, the camp store is closed. Uh, do you guys need anything? We, we'd be happy to pick it up for you. And, you know, as it turned out, we, we did need um, like milk and eggs or something um, because when we, we didn't realize that the campground store would be closed when we got there. So we didn't actually do a supply stop before we got into the campground, which we normally do. We were like, Oh, let's just get it at the camp store. We got there. It was closed. So, um, and then they ended up, you know, going in running in town and, and grabbing some stuff for us and just, you know, stuff like that, you know, so it just just kind of reminds me of uh, you know my childhood and how how communities really kind of banded together even though we're you know we're all on our separate ways once we come together like everybody's willing to help out. With yeah, them. it sounds like a great community. Uh, what places in the U.S. and Canada uh, do you and your wife want to visit to uh, fulfill your bucket list? Because I know you're all over the um, place. Yeah, Alaska is definitely, you know, when, when we get to Alaska next year, that's definitely a bucket list thing for sure. Uh, and we'll get to see a, a large part of Canada there. We've, we've only been to Niagara Falls so far in Canada, and we love that. So we're looking forward to going up through BC and, and the uh, Northwest Territory on our way into Alaska. So those are definitely bucket lists. You know, it's so, it, it's so hard because it's such a beautiful country. And we've been to 45 states so far. Um, and we'll, we'll probably end up with Alaska next year and we'll hit California next year in Nevada. Um, we've been to Nevada, but not as in our, not during our RV travels. So we don't kind of count that one yet. Um, we'll probably end up with, uh, with all, you know, the 49 after next year. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's tough to say what's on the bucket list because it, it's, it's ever changing, you know, because we, <laughs> You know, we'll get into an area and one of our other full-time friends will be like, hey, were you planning on going to, you know, Scott's Bluff in Nebraska? And, and we weren't. And then we we're like, okay, well, let's go check it out. And it was it was a really cool spot. You know, one of the Pony Express stops and, and you know, learning that history. So the, the bucket list is ever-changing. And okay. then there's so many places that we've been to where, you know, we felt we didn't have enough time there. And, you know, so now getting back there is added to the bucket list. You know, like when we went through Colorado, we saw a ton, um, but we also left there with a list of, you know, as many places that we didn't see that we, we want to go back to. 
Well, we have a uh, a lot of listeners uh, of this podcast in Canada. So when we give out your contact information, all our Canadian friends might want to uh, get a hold of Dan and tell him some good places in Canada to visit. Absolutely. Um, I'm always willing to take advice. Yeah. What what has surprised you most about your new lifestyle? I think, again, just the, the people we've met, you know, and I don't know that surprise is the right right word because, you know, that was one of the things my mom talked about so much was just, you know, the people that she met in her travels and, and stayed in contact with them and even ones that she didn't stay in contact with. And I just think, you know, again, in the, you know, the polarized society that we live in now, the ability to, to sit down and have conversations with people who, you know, probably don't share the same political beliefs as I do, probably don't, you know, necessarily have, you know, we all have the same wants and desires when you really break it down. Once you cut through all the other crap that mainstream media wants to throw at us and all that, that sort yeah. of stuff, if you actually sit down and take the time to have a conversation with someone, yeah, you can put all that other stuff to the side and realize, you know what? Yeah, we really do want the same things, you know. So you've learned that. Yeah. That's that's the Gross. biggest thing for sure. Now, I just want to give you a little plug. You've written a, a couple of books about your travels. Uh, one's titled The Journey of My Mother's Son, Volume 1. We have another book, Four Paws and Six Wheels Across America, The Adventures of, uh, this is named after a baseball player, the Euclid, right? Euclid, yeah. yep. Yeah, Golden yep. Retriever. Just kind of briefly tell us a little bit about those books. So The Journey of My Mother's Son, um, that'll be part of a four-part series. Uh, volume one, the subtitle is Many Random Thoughts from the Road. And it it really is exactly that. Um, it's, uh, you know, just kind of chronicles our first 18 months of living on the road. And, you know, the cool thing about that book is you can pick it up and you could read chapter 18 first and then go back and read chapter five because it's just it really is random thoughts from the road so you know it's published chronologically by the, you know the dates i've written those stories but you know whether it's something that inspired me on a hike or a sunset or a walk on the beach or again someone we met or a volunteer project that we did um that's really what that that book is about and then like i said i'm working on volume two of that which will be many little people which will again talk about our, you know, the people we've met throughout our journey. And then the, th the third volume will be Many Little Places, which will try to highlight, you know, our favorite places, so to speak. But yeah. <laughs> the, the toughest thing with the, volume two and three is like, what doesn't get in the book? You know, like at some point you got to say, okay, this is, this has got to be the end, the end yeah. of the book. So, yeah. um, you know, so that'll be that. Then our the fourth volume of that is basically just a coffee table book, uh, a picture book of again just photos that my wife and I have taken, you know, on our on our travels and places that we've been. And then the the children's book, Four Paws and Six Wheels Across America. I talked a little bit about it earlier. It's just our dog's perspective, um, as though he was the author, and you know what he loves most about traveling in the RV. Um, yeah. And then my my first book, the one that I republished, I first published in 2012 and then republished in 2021 was The Beauty of a Diamond Through the Eyes of a Coach, which really chronicles my my 30 years of coaching baseball and softball and really teaching those life lessons through the, through the game. So, you know, it, I, I personally think they're all very good books and I've gotten very good reviews on them. So hopefully uh, 
some of the listeners will want to check them out. Yeah, I'll, I want to check that one out uh, for pause and uh, six wheels. I think that would be really interesting to read. Uh, you also host your own podcast, The Journey of My Mother's Son. Uh, tell us a little bit of what that's about. So, as I had mentioned, I had uh, you know I had podcasted for our organization since 2012. I uh, I loved you know being able to tell stories. So one of the things that I wanted to do uh, when we started traveling was to be able to tell stories to people we've met. You know, one of the things that I thought of was you know how cool it would have been for my mom to be able to tell some of those stories in real time through social media and through a a platform like podcasting. Uh, as opposed to us, you know, reading through her journals after she had passed away and, you know, receiving letters from people that we had never met that told us about the impact that she had on their lives. Right. So I talked to my producer and, you know, found out, you know, when I did the, the podcast for the organization, all I did was conduct, conduct the interview. I, I had no idea how it got to the to Google or Spotify or Apple or any of that stuff. I, I just, you know, got a link after I did the interview. Um, so she, uh, she was gracious enough to kind of show me the back end of it. And, uh, you know, I've, uh, been able to, you know, have people on my show that we've just met in campsites that we, uh, did volunteer projects with, you know, and, and now I've kind of expanded a little bit where, you know, I'll, I'll have a lot of guests on that, uh, I haven't necessarily met in person at this point, but I'll do an interview with them. And then I actually am able to kind of connect with them in person down the road at some point, which has been pretty cool. I've been able to do that with probably a dozen or so guests or people who have had me on their show again, which is, which is really neat. So it's, you know, there, there's, uh, you know, I'll have everything from, you know, former athletes, um, you know, to volunteers, to life coaches and and all that sort of stuff. But I, uh, you know, the subtitle of the podcast is many little people, in many little places. So I do ask all my guests the same final question, which is, um, you know, what are one of the little things that you do to make the world a better place on a daily basis? Um, so that's kind of the one common theme throughout all of my shows is I ask the guests the same final question. Okay. Sounds like a great show. So everybody listening to this show, tune into his podcast, Journey of My Mother's Son. Now, for those out there in the audience listening to this and wanting to better their lives uh, by it by making a change, what are, what words of advice do you have for them? They want to make their lives um, better. First and, first and foremost, just do it. You know, like you, uh, you can come up with a hundred reasons why not to do something and, and talk yourself out of it very quickly. Yeah. Um, but I think you just need to you know, cut through all the, all the crap and all the garbage and, and all the you know, limiting beliefs and just do it. I mean, like I said, I, I could have told myself a million times, I never drove an RV. I don't know anything about RVing. I'm doing great work with the organization that I'm working in. Uh, we're changing lives, um, but we just had to take the leap. So I think that's the big thing is just, you know, don't talk yourself out of it. You know, just, just go ahead and do it and, and realize that, you know, you're never going to be as young as you are today. Like that's just, <laughs> that's it. true. So yeah, you can keep, you know, don't, don't talk about doing it next month or next year or five years from now, because, you know, sadly you don't know if you have next week, next month or five years from now. It's just the, the cold hard truth of being a human. Take the leap. Just do it. Dan, how can yep. people contact you? 
So you can just go to my website, which is journeymymotherson.com um, or danclauser.com. They both go to the same site. Uh, from there, you can get links to my books, my podcasts, blogs, all that sort of stuff. All my social media links are on my website. Um, so it's just the easiest thing is just go right to my website. And from there, you can kind of navigate what direction you want to uh, want to go to find out more from there. Okay, so we're going to repeat that. It's danclauser.com and journeyofmymotherson.com. And yep. we will we will include that in the podcast notes. So we'll, we'll put that in the notes. I want to thank you, Dan, for being on the podcast and sharing your story and inspiring all of us uh, with your leap of faith decision to change your lifestyle and make this world a better place. I wish you and your wife and Eucalyptus all the best going forward. So thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me on, Ron. I appreciate the time. Comments and suggestions for the podcast, you can email me at it's a wrap with rap at gmail.com. Our Facebook group is it's a wrap with rap. So if you want to get in the group, I think we have a couple thousand members right now. Just get in touch with us on Facebook. Instagram is it's a wrap with rap podcast. We are we are on uh, Twitter, they call it X now, and it's at Rapper130. So that's at W-R-A-P-P-E-R-130. Uh, we're on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. All the episodes are on there. It's a wrap with Rap the Podcast Uncut. I want to thank everyone for listening. Everybody, please stay safe. And for now, it's a wrap. <laughs>